Hey friends, thanks for taking time to listen in on a conversation the guys and I had about F1 scandals. If you're a consumer of F1 media, like me, you've heard terms related to various scandals. Well, I thought I had done my research reading and viewing various sources, but longtime fans like John and Dick have real-time knowledge worth hearing. Plus, as racers, their personal experiences provide them not only with a different perspective, but stories from their own racing careers. We're releasing this conversation in multiple parts to respect your time. Hope you enjoy our conversation. Okay, gentlemen. We have talked a lot about the world of racing, and I feel like there are different stories that you guys have personally. And then my search, my desire to learn more about F1 history, I feel like I've stumbled on some stuff that you've also discussed in different conversations, and we've plugged it for a later time. Well, later time is upon us. Scandals and cheating. I have was kind of shocked, but then when I thought about it more, I realized I shouldn't have been shocked about this. And then maybe it's because you guys have educated me about this, that scandals and cheating, that's a negative way of looking at it. Or I feel like it's what maybe John, you said it. And then Dick, you said it in a different conversation. I think we said it together is that in the world of racing, you're pushing the envelope. So it's really in the eye of the beholder of whether or not it's cheating because you may have just found a loophole. First one is Crashgate. Well, Dick may you know, really want to weigh in here too, because we all uh, saw this in real time and uh, very interesting stuff. But long story short, um, it was during the, what was it, Dick, the 82 season? Well, no, Crashgate, no. no, that was uh, Singapore Grand Prix, I think is what Sabrina's referring to, in 2008, when yeah. PK yeah. Jr. was basically instructed, hey, wad your car in the wall at the appropriate time so that, you know, Alonzo had already pitted. That was his teammate at Renault. Alonzo had just pitted and then he was the, then PK was his car, every, forcing everybody else into the pits. Well, by that time, Alonzo's gone. And um, he, I mean, you know, he didn't have to pass anybody because everybody else had, had no choice. They had to go in for fresh tires and fuel. Um, and and this whole thing has now resurfaced again um, because this is the race that basically Felipe Massa is hanging his hat on saying, hey, because of this accident, I was screwed out of the world championship. And my argument is, is no, actually, again, Ferrari found a new way to lose, which was sending <laughs> him out of the pits. Um with the fuel hose still attached. And remember, he went blasting off down the pit lane with the fuel hose hanging off the side of the car. So, um, you know, my take on it was, is this was, this was really blatant cheating, even for these guys. Um, that's really low telling your driver, hey, I want you to crash. Come on, really? Yeah, and this had big implications, too, because, um, you know, the FIA did a, a uh, investigation of it, and effectively what happened was this ended PK's career. His father was a world champion. He was e- qualified enough to, to be driving with Alonzo. Uh, it was his first year, if I remember correctly, 
And this was it for him. He was out of the sport as well Mm -hmm. as um, Alonzo's manager who was involved in management at the time. Uh, He was, he was withdrawn or expelled from the sport as was Max Mosley too, I think. So that it, it had big implications uh, and it was blatant cheating Uh, should have been called out even more than it was at the time. but I, I think that in the heat of the moment, the FIA just wasn't looking closely enough at what was going on. Right. I mean, I guess that that was one of the things that I wondered about is in the moment, how do you know this? Right. It, it seems like it's after the fact, if this comes to light. And so now moving forward with Masa and it, it rearing its head um, in the last few months, I feel like that his challenge to his potential world championship. How do you go back and fix this? I don't. I don't see it. Am Am I missing something? Well, there's two parts to your question, and one is, shouldn't they have known this at the time? And I think the answer to that is yes. They probably should have, if they had been monitoring all of the many, many, many data points that they have access to. They should have been able to see that this was an an intentional act. Mm. Uh, just looking at tire pressures, looking at steering angles, looking at speeds, uh, maybe even radio communications. They should have been able to at least theoretically have the data available uh, to do that. Uh, but but secondly, uh, I think your your question was what to do about it now, and I think that. This is such a long ago sort of thing. I certainly understand and I'm very sympathetic with with Masa's uh, feelings about this. But there are real rules and regulations for protests. There are real rules and regulations for settling uh, the, the championship. And there's at least an unwritten rule, if not a written rule, that once the championship is settled and the award is given, it's over. That's the mm-hmm. ne- that's last year. Mm hmm. Yeah, because I mean, I keep uh, keep thinking of the term statute of limitations. There has to be a point where you say, done, we move on, We're, we, you've had your opportunity for redress. I guess going back to the first part of the question you noted, I had it, it and this is a practical because I don't even know how many people are there monitoring, because when I think of 20 cars, all the different data points that are coming in. Who within the FIA is sitting there and monitoring all of that? Is it just like five people or 50 people sitting there? And is, that's the stewards, correct, who are doing that review? Or is there someone feeding data to the stewards who are actually just in charge of decision making, like judgment calls? Yeah, honestly, that's a great question. I don't know how that works. Typically, uh, my understanding is, is that when they do an inquiry like this, it's after the fact, they're not monitoring in real time. Um, and they basically come in and say, okay, we want the telemetry off of your car, you know, and probably pretty specific about what traces that they're looking for. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then they take it away and they do their analysis. But um, to my knowledge, I don't believe there is anything out there right now, mm-hmm. uh, even where they've got a group of people who are, you know, pulling that that telemetry and, and going because that that telemetry is proprietary data. Mm. So you, it's almost like you have to subpoena it. 
My, I may, I may be wrong about this, but my understanding is that that there are a group of people under the direction of the the FIA steward, uh, who whose name now I can't remember. It used to be Charlie Whiting. Um, there are a number of people, and they first of all they have video feed of all the cameras that are on the track. Which, by the way, there's there's about eighty cameras at each race on the track and something approaching a thousand cameras on the cars and the, the uh, pit lane and the safety car and all that, which I didn't realize until recently. Hmm. Uh, but I, I believe they also have access to uh, at least some of the data stream off of the cars and they, they can't, uh, they don't necessarily have time for a full detailed download and debrief on that during the race, but they do have an opportunity um, for the driver representative, for the steward, um, and there's one other official whose title I can't recall, to review that in real time uh, and make a decision on it, which is where you see penalties getting imposed, a five-second penalty or a 30-second penalty or whatever. Um, So they do have at least enough access to make some decisions um, and to review what happened, um, if not necessarily at that moment, but during the race. And they have enough horsepower, enough manpower to delegate that to a small group of people to to come up with a recommendation. Mm -hmm. Hmm. No, I just said I stand corrected. I did not realize that. I mean, for me, yes, all the TV and all that kind of stuff. But um, I uh, did not realize they had some access to the telemetry. That's good. Po- possible that I'm wrong, but I, that's my understanding, at least. Okay. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that was one of the things as I've watched these races and seeing what I perceived as controversy, I thought, I wonder who is watching this in real time and making the judgment. How much time do they have to make the judgment? And especially if it's at the end of the race, what was it, two or three years ago, the whole Lewis Max thing? Mm-hmm. I went, you're rushing to make a decision on something that could be kind of controversial. Shouldn't there be a little bit of time before you say done? And then for something as big as the world championship, because of the entertainment aspect, I get why you would want to hurry up and get onto the podium. It just seems like we move so quickly from a race moment to a celebration moment. Shouldn't there be enough time to give cool heads the ability to evaluate their decisions? Kind of like what we see at the Olympics. I I think of like figure skating. There's a few minutes in that what they call the kiss and cry area where the 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 skater is sitting there and waiting before the results are posted but it seems like because of the way a race happens you know we all we all see the racers go across well then we just assume without knowing some of this underlying data that could be there that could actually have a huge significance to what we're seeing visually do you see where i'm kind of trying to process mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And wondering if that could help in some of these instances where as a fan, especially newbies like me that are that may need to have reasonable expectations of uh, just because you see them cross the line, there could be more happening behind the scenes and be willing to allow these people who are evaluating it, who know who should know the rules and who should know how to read the data. We should be willing to let that process work through. 
Well, it's it, you're you're right on the one hand, but on the other hand, you, uh, it would and probably the sport needs to do a better job of explaining this to the fans. But there's a very rigid process in place, and kind of the way that that process plays out is um, so. So there are a couple of ways that it can work. First of all, the stewards can bring a question of uh, to be investigated, and mm-hmm. the stewards then go through their investigation. Uh, they make a case between themselves, and then they bring in the players who were involved, and they get each person's story. So they might very well bring in each of the two drivers. Let's say there's only two drivers involved. They bring them in separately and interview them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the team principal almost certainly will be involved in that process, and they will be interviewed. So you have two team principals, and then not infrequently, you'll have the team lawyers involved because these are, after all, uh, very, very important decisions that have not only sporting ramifications, but huge economic ramifications. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, especially in the instance of cheating, uh, brand uh, value representations. So uh, if, if people under, and that you can't, you can't do that in a matter of minutes. The Lewis and Max situation, for example, took hours. I think it was at least four hours to get through that. Uh, and they then have to review all of the video da- information, the data they have available. Um, and then beyond that, <laughs> as if that's not enough, there's a right to appeal. Mm-hmm. And um, and so there's a protest right, and that ends after 30 minutes or thereabout, there's a time specification in which they can lodge a protest against another team. Mm -hmm. There's a right of appeal once a decision has been handed down, and that is a court appearance before the FIA court. And so that can be weeks or months later. Um, So, And they don't have to render their decision immediately. They generally do, but they don't have to render it immediately. So unfortunately, in order, because there, there are so many rules and so much is at stake, it can't be decided as quickly as the fans would love for it to be decided sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I just think of it, having the ability to know that there is a need for a delay to ensure that this is fair, or if there is a suspect of cheating, it seems like the, that encouraging fans to be a little bit more restrained. Because even going back to the Max and Lewis, because that's just the one that's most recent, and I've I've obviously slept since then. How did it was it broadcast to everyone else around the world? Didn't it go straight? Even though it was four hours, as you said, did it go straight to the podium? They had the podium celebration right then, right. And, and at the same time that they're having the podium celebration, the team principals and lawyers were arguing, you know, mm-hmm. with the FIA. Right. right. So right. the show, the show had to go on, mm-hmm. and the apparent winner was declared. But then the process, you know, was underway and and played out. And you know, that's the way we all want it. Ultimately, we want a fair result. And if it was unfair, uh, no matter what the, uh, you know, whatever the way to get to that, at the end of the day, those of us who don't have a dog in the fight, want a fair result. Uh, those of us who are Lewis fans or Max fans, we we want the result we want. 
Because I was just thinking, I don't remember a delay. I remember the podium. So, okay, let me restate what I'm hearing. The podium will happen, but in behind the scenes, especially as something as big as the world championship, there will be appeals or efforts to make sure that this is fair. As fans, especially new fans who don't know all the intricacies, we should be prepared to understand that that, that even though you're seeing that celebration if there is a, a challenge based on the rules and evidence that's brought forth, the chance there could be changes. And that's not being shady. That's just making sure the rules are followed. And in the case of what started this conversation was Crashgate was there really wasn't any reason. There wasn't any suspicion whether or not they should have had reason to suspe- be suspect is secondary. But there wasn't any suspicion in 2008. And it's only subsequent that we found out of how it had the crash had happened, which now Masa is saying this race affected my ultimate bid for the world championship. Am I summarizing it correctly? Fairly? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. All right. Well, that helps. I think me and I hope for our listeners, let's move on to another one that I actually thought someone was, was um, making up because I was like, F1 and spies and espionage. Come on now. But I heard about... I read about a scandal that resulted inside of the Ferrari world that um, it was over a hundred million dollars that what came and was affected by this scandal. Can you guys tell me, like they said it was because of a copy center, like a Xerox place. That's why somebody found out that this cheating was happening. This was just dumb. (laughs) So it was 2007 Mm -hmm. and uh, one of the chief mechanics in at Ferrari uh, did, in fact, later proved, take a bunch of technical information uh, about Ferrari's cars and other issues and, and items of the way that Ferrari worked. And he, he sold those effectively uh, to McLaren. I think his his end game was actually a job with McLaren, but in any way he prostituted himself in order to uh, uh, take this information and, and commercialize it. Well, the, the, it really probably, he probably would have gotten away with it if he had mm-hmm. been a little more clever. <laughs> but what the dude did was he had his wife, you know, he implicated his wife because his face was known as a, as a team person so he had his wife go down to the local copy shop and she was supposed to get it copied and, and print it out off of this CD that he provided. Well, the clerk who was responsible for doing the copying recognized the images as being from Ferrari. And as luck turned out for him and Ferrari and not for the guy who was taking the information and his wife, the guy was a Ferrari fan and he recognized what was going on. And then he Googled the, he Googled <laughs> the wife's name, her last name, and figured out that she was a mechanic's wife. Well, from there, it just went downhill because what he did was it, he sold it off to McLaren. Well, McLaren did, in fact, go in front of the court or convicted of cheating and taking uh, private information from Ferrari, and they did pay a hundred million dollars fine wow. 
And that that honest to goodness is what took McLaren, in my opinion, it took them off of the very top rank and top level of motorsport. And they've been struggling ever since uh, since 2007 when this happened. Wow. I'm I, I'm just thinking also of the what you just said, 2007 and the crash gate controversy controversy is inside of 2008. So there were some really interesting shenanigans happening in the 2000, early 2000s, it sounds like. Well, there were some characters involved in the sport in those days. <laughs> well, there still okay. are. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask. So, Dick, let's go to you. What are your thoughts on this controversy scandal? Well, I've always thought that this would make a great movie. You know, I mean, there's nothing like a good sports movie that's made that's based on um, a true story. And um, this would be amazing. I just don't know whether you would make it like a true espionage, you know, industrial espionage movie, or would you just make it a comedy? You know, <laughs> when you have a, have a bunch of Italians bungling the whole thing and, you know, leave it from there. I don't know. I just... <laughs> Anyway, it sounds like the latter to me as the newbie. I, I, I think I think I've got a couple of, of guys that are good at comedy that could probably do a really good job with that script. But anyway, that's another story for another day. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, come on, you know, I mean, here's McLaren in 2007. They had arguably the best car on the grid. Um what on earth are they going? I mean, what what was Ron Dennis thinking? Because sooner or later, it had to go to Ron yeah. at the time. He was running the, the – and I mean, it's one of those deals where you can get so greedy that you, you don't realize how greedy you already are, and you'll do anything just to increase your wealth. In this case, a wealth of knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. And um, – or, or maybe paranoia about what are your competitors doing? And so, um, yeah, I mean, just crazy. And of course, like John said, $100 million out of the coffers for a, any organization, but especially a racing team, that's like the kiss of death. I, I like what you just said about paranoia. As I watched this YouTube video, I thought that. I thought, this just seems like you didn't really need to do this. And. No. And I didn't even know that what you just said about McLaren and its role in the sport at that time to be at the top. Yeah, that's just sad. Okay, friends, have you formed an opinion about Crashgate? If so, what do you think about the allegations and Felipe Massa's current efforts? What do you think will happen? What about Spygate? Isn't it an incredible story? Were you a fan during this era? If so, do you agree or disagree with John and Dick's recollections and assessments about either of these scandals? What about you, newer fans of F1 out there? Have you been surprised by any of these scandals? And did you realize all the behind the scenes efforts to monitor, challenge, and legitimize race decisions? Drop me a line via email, sabrina at twoguys8girlandf1.com. Are you an undergraduate student with at least one year of study in a mathematics, physics, or engineering-based degree and interested in working with an F1 team for a year? Do you have experience with virtual or physical testing data? Do you have knowledge of engineering data analysis software such as MATLAB? Do you have experience writing and preparing technical reports? If so, reach out to us. We want to put forth quality American candidates for a position. Who knows? Maybe that's you. 
Of course, we can't guarantee anything, but we want to do our part in getting Americans into the world of Formula One. As you've heard us say, there are many ways to enter into this industry. Engineering is just one of them. New to the podcast? If so, take some time to catch our earlier episodes. We think if you're a new or casual fan of F1, then you'll benefit from our F1 101 episode. You might also enjoy our series, Deep Dives with Dick. If you want to learn a little more about John, Dick, and me, then you might enjoy our individual episodes where we discuss our F1 origin stories. And with that, let me say, that ends this conversation. But rest assured, we'll keep talking and you can keep listening in because we're just two guys, a girl, and F1. For John, Dick, and me, Sabrina, thanks for listening.